The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Pierce Butcher has always known that she is an artist who loves nature and science. In this episode, we dissect landscape design as a unique combination of art, science, and problem solving. Pierce loves the challenge of looking at a space, listening to the concerns and dreams of a homeowner, and coming up with beautiful solutions. She composes absolutely stunning landscape designs for her clients at Pierce B Designs. Be inspired by her extraordinary designs on Instagram at Pierce B Designs. Pierce is a double major in earth and environmental science and art from Furman University. At George Washington University, she earned a landscape certificate while studying at the U.S. National Arboretum. This is episode 84. Designing Beautiful Functional Outdoor Living Spaces with Pierce Butcher. Remix of Episode 41. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Pierce, how do you create beautiful spaces for functional outdoor living? The first question I like to ask when I meet a new client is how do you want to use your space? I want to find out more about their lifestyle, about their family, and then I want to tailor that design to the space that they have and to their personal lifestyle. When you do that, are you trying to get an emotional connection with the client to their outdoor space? I do. I think the main goal truly is just to draw people outdoors. I think it's really interesting that recently there's been a lot of published studies about the health benefits of being outside in nature. And I think you and I have known that forever, which is probably why we both got into this field. And I just think that's so interesting. And I think it definitely during the pandemic and afterwards, people really do want to be outside. And our goal of our profession is to make that space an inviting space that's going to make them want to spend more time out there. We've gone through a great adventure over the last couple of years. Have you seen a lot of changes in the outdoor spaces? Definitely. I've seen a lot more pools. I feel like, at least in my area, there are a lot of people wanting to put pools in their backyard. And these pool companies have been backed up for months. Since they weren't traveling, they wanted to create more of that outdoor oasis in their own backyard. since They weren't allowed to go anywhere. And I feel like it truly bumped up our design work on hyperdrive because they weren't spending money on vacations. If they still had their job, they had money to spare. And so everyone was wanting to invest in their outdoor spaces during the pandemic told us that when you talk with a client that you ask them how they want to use their space. Could you walk us through what you follow that up with and how you develop the design from that? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, I had a client who lived in a fairly new home. The first thing they said to me was they wanted to put a pool in the backyard. So we met in their backyard. I asked them, 
what else would you like to have back here? And they mentioned they wanted a shed. They wanted some covered space because they didn't have any covered patio space outside wanted a fire pit and an outdoor kitchen, and then they wanted a bathroom. So that's a lot of different elements to add in one small-ish space. It wasn't a very large backyard, and they had two very active dogs. We needed to leave some lawn for those dogs. So my first goal is to figure out the scale of each of those spaces, like how big they need to be for how many people are going to be using them, and then how best those spaces fit in that backyard and then all tie together. Where's the gate in the backyard? Where's the views from the most used spaces inside? When you're standing in that space, what are you looking at? How many other houses around me are looking down into that space and how can we best position each of those different elements together and then in that backyard so that they all flow together? One of my main goals too is to keep the main traffic flow open and not create any bottlenecks or pinch points in that landscape and really make it flow together nicely. Could you tell us how you discover the big idea for a client? After I get all that information from the client with all the different elements they'd like to see in their dream backyard, I like to start big. Maybe we need to drop the grade down here and create a berm here to help with privacy. Maybe we need to create a much bigger pool pavilion so that we can fit a kitchen and a seating area out there. I really like to play with the grade in the backyard if there is a grade change to make that grade work for the landscape and make it help define those spaces instead of it being an afterthought of coming in and be like, oh, shoot, well, now we have 12 inch drop and how are we going to make this landscape work? But actually using that grade to our advantage to really help either create privacy or define the different outdoor rooms back there. A lot of times that's when I'll bring in a contractor and be like, okay, this is my big idea. Do you think this is possible? Is there something that you can see during the construction process that I might not be able to see as just the designer? Remember, there was one property in the North Main area of Greenville, which is this really beautiful historic area north of downtown. It was one of those older homes that had been renovated all throughout the probably 100 years since it had been built. And their driveway went up and there was a retaining wall up against their screen porch. I brought the contractor in. I'm like, okay, what if we actually drop this driveway down and move this retaining wall over to the property line so that we're opening up that screen port and it truly changed the whole space? He came and he was like, yep, let's do it. I just got to pull this one permit. They even had to move some power lines in order to make it happen. Really did change the space to drop that grade out the back of the house and create this much more livable and usable space around the house. Things like that, bringing in the contractor to say, okay, here's my big idea. Is it possible? And getting their feedback on things like that. These are all way before you choose any plants to go in there. Yeah, absolutely. I like to make the analogy of if I'm going to build a house, I'm not going to go pick out throw pillows first. I'm going to really decide who's going to be using this house. How many people are in your family? What's your floor plan? Before you ever pick out paint colors or your kitchen countertops, you're going to nail down exactly what floor plan you want for your house. And that's what designers are good at, is we're going to figure out the layout of your outdoor space before we ever talk about materials and plants. Of course, we love plants. That's one of the most fun parts of our job is to go and pick out all the beautiful textures and colors for their yard. It is definitely the last thing I do during the whole design process. You're getting those functional areas and how those all connect together and then putting the plants in the void. 
Right. Like I think of the plants become architectural elements a lot of times with hedges for screening, helping to find those outdoor rooms, and then adding all that texture and color and using the plants as form and texture and color in the landscape to really finish off the space. Once we've figured out all those outdoor rooms, the plants become the wallpaper and the curtains and all the decor that you get to really finish off that space once you've nailed down the exact layout and form and function of the design. You're academically trained as an artist, and how do those skills and talents you develop in that training translate to your landscape design? Actually, when I got to college, wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do, like a lot of freshmen, but I knew that I enjoyed art. I wasn't great at it, but it's something that I always enjoyed in school. And so I started out as a studio art major at Berman University. They have a beautiful art department and I really, really enjoyed. I think I was either a sophomore or junior when I figured out that there is a job called landscape architecture where you get to do both design and in time outdoors. I could have transferred to like UGA or Clemson, which have great landscape architecture programs, but I really enjoyed my small school. And so I ended up double majored in art and environmental science and went to graduate school at George Washington University in D.C. They had a graduate program for landscape design for working professionals. What I think is interesting, a lot of the people who were in that program had master gardener certificates. Maybe they had actually been in completely different careers and were coming to this program because they loved to garden. I came at this program as more with an art background. I think what's unique is that I look at the landscape and I look at the design as recreating functional work of art that people get to enjoy and spend time in. Having that base knowledge of the basic design principles is helpful to creating a good landscape design that uses all those principles of repetition and balance and form and scale and composition. I know that my weaknesses are really knowing all the different plants and all the cultivars that are introduced every year. To make up for that, I need to spend more time in the nurseries and I'm going to spend more time on the job sites. There was obviously a horticulture aspect to this landscape design graduate certificate where we actually got to take classes at the National Arboretum, which is pretty fascinating. Well, let's explore some of the design principles that you've mentioned. Could you tell us what you mean by form? If you've ever been to Sculpture Garden in Washington, D.C., like no gallery of art that's outside, I think it's so fascinating to walk through that. It's filled with all these beautiful, famous sculptures. I think plants can act like that in the landscape. Every plant has a different form. You have your conical evergreens. You have your beautiful, soft ornamental grasses that have so much movement in the landscape. Think of like a Calder sculpture, his hanging mobiles, that the whole point of those was to create these sculptures that have constant movement. It's one of the beautiful things that you can bring into a garden with either a water feature or these ornamental grasses, bringing in those plants because of their form and their structure to help create that balance and repetition and scale. Using the plants as the architectural and sculptural elements in your garden. How would you explain texture to your client? I want every garden to be a sensory garden. I try to stay away from any plants that are going to have thorns or even some of the hollies, unless you're intentionally trying to create a barrier or a hedge to keep children from walking across something, which really doesn't happen very often. I want to create a garden that you want to walk through and just run your hands through the plants, whether it's like lavender, that you want to pick off one little petal and smell it. 
pink muli grass is one of my favorites. Mexican feather grass, which is so soft. Even peonies and hydrangeas that just have such those bold color and texture in the garden where you just want to lean down and take in the fragrance and the texture of all those different plants that you've added to your garden. I think one of the strongest elements is line. Could you speak to line? I feel like you can tell a strong landscape design when you have that really nice, rounded, curved bed line. That speaks to me as this has been intentionally designed and that you have that very defined line between your lawn and your planting bed. Also, like even retaining walls in the landscape can give you that very nice horizontal line. I was just working on a design this morning where we have a sunroom on the corner of the house. This garden that we're working on is going to be viewed mostly from inside and looking out. We have some grade changes and I really want to play with putting a retaining wall in there to give you that nice, sharp horizontal line and maybe softening the top of that with some beautiful plants that are going to creep over the edge of it, like creeping phlox or rosemary or something that's going to play with that idea of line and texture in the landscape. The elephant in the room, as far as design elements, is always color, because that seems to be where everybody runs to first. Mm -hmm. Could you speak to how to use color in the landscape? I listen to the client first. Some people love, love color, and they want every single color in their landscape. We want to find something that's going to be blooming or in color all year round, even if it's in the winter and we throw in one of those cool red twig dogwoods that has those red branches in the winter when the leaves fall off. I've seen a trend here in Greenville more towards the traditional just green and white where you have a lot of boxwoods, mondergrass, limelight hydrangeas, and maybe some lamb's ear where it's much more restrained color palette that is more just the green and white and repeating that over and over. It really just depends on the client preference and their style as to how much color we want to bring in there. I had one client, she loved orange and yellow, warm colors. That's what we did. We're going to find foliage color and flower color that's going to speak to her personal taste and design style. Hear people talk about balance in their landscape. Could you give us an illustration of how to use balance? And we'll look at scale too. Balance and scale tie in hand to hand. Just think of building a new house. Maybe it's a beautiful, traditional two-story colonial. If it's a lot where most of the trees have been cleared, that is going to be a big house sticking out of the ground. And so we want to balance that house with some upright evergreens on the corners to kind of anchor this house within the landscape. Also, they need to be the right scale to the house. If it's an expansive home, you need to balance the sides of that house with maybe some bigger plant material. If you've ever spent much time at the Biltmore house, he created this beautiful allay of trees in front of the Great Lawn. Used tulip poplars, which are huge overstory trees in the forest, but it was the right scale and proportion to his basic castle that he was creating in the mountains. Normally, you would think of an allay of trees would be understory trees like cherries or European hornbeams or something traditional landscape matching the scale of the plant you're choosing to the house. One plant could be totally in scale with a large structure, and, and that same plant could overwhelm that small structure. Absolutely. And I think that's one cool way that you can really use all these different cultivars that they've come out with so that you can pick just the right plant. I know that you say this often. One of the main goals of our profession is to pick the right plant and put it in the right place, picking a plant that's going to stay the right scale and proportion for where you're going to put it so it's not going to overwhelm that base. You kind of alluded to it when you were talking about the alley at the Biltmore House. Would that be an example of also perspective and sight lines? He does such a great job. 
he uses that axis right down the middle of that space so that when you're standing there looking at the fountain right there in the middle, you can stand at the fountain, look towards the house, and everything's almost perfectly symmetrical. And you turn around and you look up that great lawn and he has that really beautiful set of stairs. There's even a cupola with a statue way up at the top of the hill. Uses the grade of that yard. It looks like that statue is so far away at the top of that hill because he's using that perspective and the axial symmetry to create that experience in that space. That's important too about when you're in someone's house, what are they going to be seeing when they're looking out their kitchen window or sitting at their breakfast table or spending time in their living room? What is that perspective looking out into their yard? Definitely take that into consideration when you're designing a space. I joke when I come to do the site analysis that I like to measure every single window. That sometimes it makes me feel a bit of a creeper when I'm literally walking around someone's entire house measuring every window and every door. But that's the reason is because I really want to know where the main windows in your house and what is that perspective looking out and how can we create a beautiful view out into your garden. It's like a live painting on the wall when you're looking out the window into your garden. Mm -hmm. And one that changes every month and you get to enjoy it every season of the year. You use plant groupings. How do you like to use them? Definitely suggest odd numbers. If I was just meeting someone on the street and they're like, oh, that's what you do. Give me some quick advice. My advice would be plant in odd numbers, take out overgrown shrubs. And if it feels totally messy, just take it out and mulch it. We feel cleaner and more organized than things that are just cluttered and overwhelming the space. Successful plant grouping would be like three layers. You're going to have your foundation plant in the back, and maybe you're going to bring in some perennials in front of that, and then maybe a ground cover or some ornamental grasses in front of that. For example, like if we were going back to talking about more of a traditional landscape using more greens and whites, just that simple dwarf limelight hydrangea, dwarf boxwood hedge, and then some mondo grass in front of it. It's just going to look clean and simple, really beautiful layers. You have a little bit wilder texture in the back with your height and then your cleaner boxwoods that bring in the idea of line in front of that. And then your green carpet almost of that mondo grass in front of it, bringing those layers of texture and color and form to your landscape. This has been a lot of design principles that we've talked about. Do you find yourself when you design that you apply them intuitively without thinking about it? Or do you have to intentionally pull these different design elements in as you design? That's a good question. I think when we are designing in 2D and plan view, we're creating a composition. Just like a photographer would think about composition when they are taking a photograph or a painter thinks about composition when they're laying out their canvas. In order to do that, you are using all of those different design principles. If you look at your yard as your canvas and how you're going to create this composition, that helps you tie those all in together so that you are using good portion and scale and balance and rhythm and all those things that we talked about. I have to make sure that I also do some sections and make sure that those are going to work in section view too, and not just as a plan view composition, but that it also works vertically in the landscape because that's how they're going to be walking through that space and using that space. When you talk about sections, tell us what that is. A retaining wall. I'm working on one right now where the grade of the yard, if you're standing in their backyard looking out, it goes from high to low across the yard. They want to put a pool and a fireplace and a big entertaining patio back there. The main goal for this yard is the elevation of that pool deck. Where's it going to go? Because this yard is sloped, how can we use that to our advantage? I played with it a lot. I played with stairs and retaining walls. 
Then I drew a line through the middle of that space from high to low, drew a section of that to show him the height of these steps of these retaining walls, where that pool deck elevation is, where the fireplace patio elevation is, and then how it slopes down on the side there so that he could better understand can't see those elevation changes in plan view when you're looking down like a bird's eye view. So looking at it through a piece of a pie so that you're seeing the elevation changes in the landscape. Yeah, you're just slicing right through it and and then looking at all those different elevations. It's always kind of cool to do that. Do you have a guideline for establishing a project's budget? I do not tell people what their design fee is until I have met with them and I have walked through their space because we could have a really elaborate design with lots of different design elements that need to go in there, but maybe it's a flat lot and it's brand new construction. So there's nothing that I really need to measure or it's a pretty simple design. However, there's a lot of existing plant material and grade changes. So I'm going to need to spend a lot more time in their space, gathering all that data and then putting all that data into my CAD program. I use all that information to give them a design fee. I meet with them and then I summarize our meeting and then I email them the proposal to look over. I don't know if homeowners really understand this, but a lot of times if it's a complicated site, it takes me longer to do the site analysis and the base plan than it does to actually do the design itself. Because a lot of times you meet with the client and I don't know about you, but you could probably sketch something up on the back of a napkin after you meet with them, but that's not helpful to your contractors. To really create a accurate landscape design, I do need to know where every single window is and all the major trees that are staying so they can be bid appropriately and it can be installed per the design. So a lot of times that takes longer than the actual design itself is just the measuring and the putting that information back onto the computer. Collecting all the data just takes time then putting it in the computer. It's tedious, but I've also found that it makes me a better designer if I spend that time walking through their space. It's not the most fun part of the job, especially in the middle of the summer and it's 95 degrees and humid or like now if it's freezing cold and you have to take your gloves off in order to take notes. So it's definitely the not the most glamorous part of our job or the most fun, but it is definitely important to spend that time in their space. I have been asked to do remote work, but I've learned that I don't have to do the site analysis, but then it actually takes me longer to do the design because I haven't spent time in their space. Coming from an art background and knowing that my brain works in pictures and that's part of what makes me good at what I do, it's hard for me to conceptualize something if I haven't actually walked through their space and taken in all that information myself. It's much harder to design with pictures. A lot of people are really good at it and can work remotely, but I've just found for myself, I'm not as good at what I do if I can't spend time in their yard. What about you? Are you able to work remotely? Do you get requests to do designs out of state and where you aren't going to actually be there? I'm like you. I like to experience the space and get a feel for it. And then I can see the design in my mind before I ever put it on paper. Then I tell the client, I said, I've got to build this on paper before I can build it in your space. I take a lot of pictures on the site when I do a design to refer back to. There's still that experience, the feel, the noise and Mm -hmm. the surrounding where you maybe can borrow a view or there's something else that you didn't pick up in the photos if you didn't go to that space. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Really being able to understand how it feels to be there and how we can enhance that, how we can use what's there, and then also just make it a better experience for them through the design process. I read a quote that was attributed to you that it's important to go bigger when planning. What did you mean by that? One of the mistakes I've made in the past is designing outdoor spaces that were too small. 
even a lot of times you'll lay out a patio for someone and it feels so big when they first see it. The minute you put a table there or put two couches and a chair, it fills up very quickly, making sure that you're designing generous outdoor spaces so that you can add the furniture in those spaces and still have plenty of room for people to move through that space. I think one of the things we do looking at that principle you're talking about is a sidewalk to wherever or a path to wherever is that we tend to want to go three and four feet for this sidewalk that really needs to be five and six feet because it just feels better and and you can walk side by side. Absolutely. Whole experience feels different moving through that space if you have that wider path. I'm always making that suggestion. If I get the opportunity to help put some steps in the landscape that tie the house to the garden, I always want to go wider with those steps too. If you go steps that are six, eight, even 12 feet wide, they become their own element in the landscape. People can sit there. If you have large gatherings, you can put beautiful pots there to fill with seasonal color. It just opens up the space. It ties the space in together. Like the idea of these beautiful homes where you have a screen port and a living area, you have the pocket doors. It's that same idea. If you have pocket doors defining those two spaces, you open that whole wall up and now it's one open space. If you add steps that are as wide as your patio down into your lawn, you've opened that space up to really connect those two spaces and not have one little four foot pathway people are going to not be able to walk past each other to go from the deck to the yard or the patio to the pool patio, things like that. Put in these six foot steps going down into a pool area. And the homeowner told me, he said, we take so many pictures on those steps. Oh, <laughs> that is great feedback right there. Absolutely. They entertain a lot and have a lot of school functions there. And they said, there's just so many pictures taken there. And I mm-hmm. said, you know, to know that you created a space that is memorable enough to, or impactful enough for people to do that. Is That's a great feeling. Absolutely. That's really special. The way you present your landscape ideas and designs in your drawings is amazing to me. And you compose them on a computer and then you add color by hand rendering. Why do you do it that way? That's a great question. And I get people ask me, why do I take the time to print out a drawing and add color with markers instead of just using the software to add the color? I think it goes back to my background in art and really enjoying being an artist. And I enjoy the process. It's unique. And not a lot of people use this hybrid approach. It creates more of that wow factor when you're able to hand that off to the client. A lot of people have ended up framing it in their homes. But a crazy honor. I think that something that I created on my computer and colored is hung up in someone's house. I enjoy the process. I think it's beautiful and I think it's unique. It allows me to still, once I transition from hand drafting to a CAD program, and it allows me to still use my artistic freedom to add some color to the design. And it really just helps it pop and explain the design, explain the color choices. You talked about color and all the plant choices, and you can just add those little pops of color throughout the design when you're coloring it to help explain to the client what it's going to look like in bloom throughout the seasons. Well, talk about your transition from hand drawing to the CAD program. The program that I did at George Washington University only taught hand drafting. And I was also working for a design build firm in D.C. at the time. Their designer also did hand drafting, and she was such a great teacher. I learned some great skills of really how to lay out a design on vellum with pencil and use your different line weight with your pen and ink. 
your architectural lettering, but it takes a long time and revisions are really hard when you're hand drafting, especially after you've inked it all in. When I moved back to the East Coast seven years ago and I was growing my design business again, I was kept getting asked to do larger projects and it was just really hard to do that on vellum and to scale it right. Even just simply laying out property lines on your piece of vellum and getting it right was a lot of work. Just knew I I needed to transition to a CAD program. I did a lot of research and I chose Dynascape because of the graphics. I thought they looked most artistic and most like hand graphics. So it allowed me to still kind of hold on to the the beauty of a hand-drawn design as best I could. Switch to the CAD program. It's not perfect, but it has absolutely made the biggest difference in my business. It has allowed me to take on a lot bigger projects. Revisions are so much easier. I can import information from architects and builders and even just simply going online to the county records and finding the plat and importing that to get that property line just right has truly made me so much more efficient and a better designer. The other great thing about the software, once you label all the plants, it counts them for you so that you know that your plant list is correct and accurate. And it's three clicks to export a plant picture catalog so that I can send over when I finish the design. They have this beautiful plant picture catalog of all the plants we've chosen for their yard so they can really understand the design and all those colors and textures that we've been talking about. I switched about three or four years ago now. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up exactly. But it was about this time of year. I bit the blitz, made the investment, and absolutely do not regret it for a second. What was the learning curve log? It was challenging. Before I purchased it, I tried to find somewhere that someone could teach me how to use CAD. Well, I hadn't picked Dynascape yet. I looked at our local community college. I looked online, and I just could not find just a simple CAD program. I had taken years off to raise kids. I had never learned this software and it was really intimidating to try to switch gears in my late 30s to figure out a fairly complicated computer program. I went ahead and bought it. They have some tutorials online. What I would do is watch the video and try it and watch the video and try it. It took about six weeks to finish my first design after learning the software. And then I was able to take some classes from some people who are really good at it and learn some great shortcut that helped a lot to help me use the software more efficiently and make it work best for my business. One of my long-term goals is to be that person that I was looking for when I was switching from hand drafting to CAD so that I can create an online course that's going to break it down into simple steps and teach you how to use the software teach you all those shortcuts that I've learned over the years so that you can jump in and hopefully learn it in a week or two instead of six weeks. Because when you have a backlog of work and then you're trying to switch from hand drafting to CAD, there's going to be that little section of lost revenue when you're learning this new program. My goal is to help people shorten that learning curve and be more efficient quickly. In the long term, make more money. Your turnaround is going to be faster and you're going to be able to take on larger projects. I did some in-person classes last year where people came to me and I taught them one-on-one. It was really helpful and I learned a lot through that process and I think I helped some people. I'd love to record that and have it be an online course where people can re-watch the videos as needed so they can jump back in and remember that one shortcut that they forgot about or figure out how to make that plant picture catalog if they're already using the software just to go back in and watch that video to figure out how to use Dynascape most efficiently for their business. Well, you're already teaching your rendering techniques, aren't you? 
Yeah, I did. So I got a lot of questions through Instagram about what markers that I use, how I render. And I did put together a short rendering course. Platform is called Thinkific. Just create a free Thinkific account and you can watch free intro video. And it just takes people through the steps of how I use these markers and add the layers of color to really make them pop. If you've seen my rendering videos and it interests you, you can go to my website and click on learn if you wanted to get a tutorial of how to add some color to your landscape designs. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden or landscape? I think some of the two most common mistakes I see are builders planting plants too close to the building. A lot of landscapers would say the same thing. I feel like they buy plants that are going to grow too big for their space and they also plant them too close. We have to come in as landscape designers and a lot of times um, have some unhappy conversations with the homeowner saying we're going to have to take this loripetalum out because it wants to be a tree and it's going to grow and cover window unless you prune it into a meatball two or three times a year. Also, we were talking about how many people wanted pools. Unfortunately, seen a lot of pools being dug in the middle of someone's yard with a four foot trip of concrete around it with no thought really how that's going to connect to their indoor space. There'll be lawn from the back door to the pool patio. I'm always honored when I'm allowed to come in before they put the pool in to really just think about how we're going to tie those spaces together. People add bigger pool patio than the pool company is suggests because you're going to want to put tables there and you might want to add an outdoor kitchen and you're going to have company over. Just really thinking more generously to those spaces. Also, what the views are, just like we talked about through this whole conversation, thinking about that pool as part of the landscape as a whole and not just how the pool company can get in there, dig a pool and get out as fast as possible. Just thinking about it as a cohesive design. Contractors, a lot of times like pool companies, irrigation companies, whatever, subcontractors, everybody tends to think in their little silo and not think of it cohesively and how it's all going to work together. That would be the advantage to getting a designer in early. I've been excited when I was asked to help site the house. That goes a long ways to having a really enjoyable outdoor space. Absolutely. That's a great point. Not just thinking, where's the easiest place to put this house? Where is the morning sun going to hit the house? What views are you taking in outside the house? How's the driveway? How are you going to get to the house? Where's the approach road and the experience driving through the property to the house? I think that's a great point that you made about having the opportunity as a landscape designer for exactly where to put that house on the piece of property. Yeah, it hadn't happened often, but it's been a lot better results when it has. What's your earliest garden memory? I was born in Asheville, North Carolina. My dad taught at a boys boarding school called Christ School in Arden, North Carolina. We lived on campus. I had a younger sister. I just remember spending so much time outside. There was a huge community garden just below our house. I have a memory of finding an old pile of bricks and having so much fun just creating and building with these bricks and spending time outside. Like I remember there was a water tower and underneath the water tower, we would catch tadpoles. Just really enjoying spending time outside. I also grew up going to a summer camp in North Carolina. I remember building forts and playing underneath the beautiful rhododendrons on this piece of property. I think my happiest memories as a child are spending time outside and just enjoying those spaces. I don't know if your parents were like mine, but they just turn you loose and you could just go enjoy the outdoors and not have to worry about it. Yep. Come home before it gets dark. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
Why did you decide to pursue the landscape design profession? I think it was my two passions of really loving being outside, feeling most at home out in nature and in the mountains and outdoors, and also just really enjoying being creative. I was not a very good painter. I told you my undergrad is art. I think I got a C in watercolor, so I'm not very good at it, even though I enjoy it. So I get to be a designer and be creative but then also help people also want to love to be outside. It was a great mix of combining my two passions of creativity and outdoors. Do you have a funny garden or plant story that you could tell us? My first job out of college was that landscape design build company outside of D.C., Part of my job was when the design was complete and they were going to go do the installation, I would help lay out the bed lines. And then if we were going to put the bed in the lawn area, I would go spray the lawn. had this five-gallon backpack sprayer. And I remember the office was in Maryland and I was in Virginia in someone's yard. Had my little thing of concentrate and I poured the concentrate in, fill it up with water and I lean over to put the backpack on. I forgot to put the lid on and I leaned over and gave myself a shower all down my back. Oh, it was awful. I just took their hose. I rinsed myself off. And now I'm soaking wet in another state from like across the Potomac River from where the office is. And so I drove to the nearest Walmart and bought all new clothes and drove (laughs) back to the office, miserable and humiliated. So that was one of my silly, embarrassing memories. Another one. So I have three children. Now they are 16, 14, and seven. And they know that whenever we're outside, I'm going to be telling them what the plants are and teaching them them the botanical names. When my youngest was little, there was this beautiful purple smoke tree that we would drive by and it was in bloom. It was so beautiful. And I loved teaching him that silly Latin name. We'd drive by and I would ask him, my Jack, what is that? And to hear his little voice go, Catinus Cogigria. Always <laughs> makes me laugh because it's such a silly name, especially coming out of a small child. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? I definitely would go back to that company that I worked for the first few years out of college. I learned so much about business and design and picking plants. Really loved working for them. It was Janet Gaskins and Caroline Bean were the owners. And then Mary Skagg was their designer. A couple of them are retired now, but I think Janet is still right in the company outside of D.C. And they do really beautiful stonework. And I learned so much about landscape design through them. Also, one of my favorite books, and I don't know if you know them or not, they're both from Georgia. Their book is called Timeless Landscape Design, The Four-Part Master Plan with Hugh and Mary Palmer Dargan. Yes. I really enjoy their book. They also talk about using basic principles of design in the landscape. And I think it's just a great simplified breakdown of how to create a good landscape design with a lot of the things that we've talked about. If you're a landscape designer and need a great book or reference, or if you're a homeowner and want to figure out how to lay out your own yard, I think that's a great book to pick up off of Amazon. I think they actually live in North Carolina now in Cashers. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Have you ever met them? Or I feel like they've spoken at seminars. I met her at a bloggers seminar in Atlanta. I knew she was going to be there because she's one of the speakers. So I took both of the books I had by her and got her to autograph it. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. They seem very wise. What is your most valuable garden mistake? would be designing outdoor spaces that were too small. When I first moved into my house, I put in a little 10-foot diameter patio, put a little copper fire pit there and figured out it was way too small. You're sitting way too close to the fire if you only have a 10-foot diameter patio. I have now ripped that up and I'm doubling it and I'm working on putting a 20-foot diameter fire pit patio in my own backyard. Definitely helped me when I'm designing other people's spaces to give them generous spaces to use and things that aren't going to be chintzy or make you feel squished. 
I'd like for you to complete this statement. My garden, I have. I have a lot of really beautiful, mature trees. I have two big pecan trees, and I have four or five water oaks, one really huge river birch, and a pine tree. So I have a lot of shade in my backyard. Part of the reason we bought this house is just because it was so beautiful, and I loved those big overstory trees. So I can't do a whole lot in the back that is so shady. I have a lot of overstory trees and some big swaths of mondo grass and a little bit of lawn. Tell us a little bit about what your future plans are for your garden. Do you have any others? So I'm working on that fire pit right now. I would love to add some more ferns because I love ferns. It's a great spot for that. I love Linton Rose. I would love to bring some more color. Spend so much time working and parenting that the yard becomes an afterthought, unfortunately. So I have big visions for my yard. I really want to put a circle driveway in. I love like the approach. Circle driveways just feel so welcoming. And we definitely need more parking too because we have more drivers. It's one of my big goals is to put a circle driveway in front of my very traditional two-story colonial house. And you have more drivers on the way. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. You need to get those projects going while you got the free labor in the house. I know. <laughs> Actually, my youngest is seven and he has been my biggest helper in the backyard. He'll grab a shovel and we'll go spend time digging holes and planting things. We put together a garden in our one little sunny spot in the backyard. He and I built a vegetable garden this year and we had a lot of fun. Got some great soil, thankfully, with all those big trees. We like to keep as many leaves as possible in the backyard and get them off the lawn, but keep them around the edge of the yard. Let them do their thing and help create some good garden soil for us to use. I believe we learn something new every day in gardening. What have you recently learned? I love getting on the growers' email list because they're always coming out with new cultivars. And I love reading about those new introductions and how I can use those to help with scale and proportion in the landscape. Because I feel like they're coming up with plants that you may have known forever, but maybe you didn't choose them because they weren't the right size. But now they've come out with cultivars that are going to be a better size for the residential landscape. So I really enjoy learning more about the different cultivars that the growers are coming up with. They're coming up with a lot, too. And you used to work at Pike Nursery, right? Sure, the huge benefit, too, to getting into this profession is working so hands-on with all the plants and learning all those new cultivars as they come into the nursery. During that time, it was all pretty much, as I like to call it, commodity plants. That's the whole reason the branding started, is to get the plants out of the commodity category and make them special. And mm. I remember when that talk started about we were going to start branding plants, and I kind of couldn't get my head around how they were going to do that. Probably 30 years ago that they were talking about that, and here we are today, and it's like every nursery has their own new plant introduction. It's almost like, to me, it's too much. There's some pretty neat plants coming out. When I worked there, this was pre-computer or databases or anything, and every time we'd get on a load of plants in, which the store I worked in, we'd get probably two or three tractor-trailer loads of just ornamental shrubs and trees in every week. I don't know why we didn't write the descriptions down for all these plants that we got so we could just refer back to them, but we didn't, and we'd always have to look them up and fill out these name tags with markers and, mm -hmm. and put it on there. So that's how I learned a lot, is just having to look up all the different orders that came in every week. And I would consider myself very fortunate to be able to have done that. Yeah, that's a great experience. I know social media gets a bad rap, but I can honestly say that I enjoy being on Instagram because I really have met a lot of other great designers and contractors. Yeah. 
through social media. And it's a great place for inspiration when people are posting beautiful pictures of their designs and their gardens. And maybe I learn about some new plant varieties that way if people are using this cool plant in this unique way. I think that would be one interesting thing that has changed in the industry is that people are finding community online and inspiration as well. Being a freelance designer working from home, it can be a little bit isolating at times and lonely. And so it's a great way for me to connect with other designers and pretty much a free advertising too. If you just put your designs out there and it's a great way to build your portfolio for future clients to hop on there and see your work. You do a really good job of that. Do you put every design you do in Instagram or do you just select a few? Pretty much. I think those time-lapse videos are pretty simple to do. You just need a tripod and on my Apple phone, it has the time-lapse feature. And so it's just simply pushing play. It doesn't record audio. So I can be in there in our shared home office with my husband and even having a conversation with him while I'm doing it. It's a pretty simple way to create a fun, short video that's easy to watch and it's easy to upload. So I know that social media also changes every day and I'm not on TikTok. So I'm not up with all these cool videos that people are producing right now, but I'm doing my best. (laughs) It's still fun. And I do enjoy being on there. I found myself doing is when I was watching your videos, I would just stop it and then kind of study what you were doing. I'd just click on it and it'd stop. And then I'd kind of look and and then I'd click on it again, let it move on and Hmm. just, just keep viewing of how you were doing things or where you were doing it. I thought that was good to be able to do that because they are pretty quick and fast, but you can pause them, study them. Yeah, that's a good point. It's been a great way for me also to meet other people locally. Like I follow as many other builders and architects and contractors as I can here in Greenville, South Carolina. Basically anyone whose client base would overlap with mine, even like interior designers, so that if they are with a client and that client asks them, do you know of a good landscape designer? Maybe my name will pop into their head and they can say, oh yeah, I know of this girl and you can find her work here. So it's a great networking opportunity too. Pierce, tell us how people may connect with you. You can find me on my website at piercebdesigns.com and it's spelled differently. It's P-E-A-R-C-E or on Instagram at handle piercebdesigns or you can shoot me an email, pierce.butcher at gmail.com. And give us that connection with your course again, please. Absolutely. If you go to my website, there's a tab called Learn, and then you'll be directed right to that Thinkific course. Do you have to make a free Thinkific account, and then you're able to see the content. There's even a free free lesson that you can check out if you want to look more into that course. This has been episode 84, Designing Beautiful Functional Outdoor Living Spaces with Pierce Butcher, a remix of episode 41. Thank you, Pierce. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.